0: loud. Your weekly dose of mental liberation in a thriving Melodated community. I'm your host Anthony Kelly.
1: And I'm CK McGee. Thank you so much for joining us. We are very excited about this podcast, and we are looking forward to building what we hope to be a lasting and fruitful relationship with you, our listening audience.
0: Throughout the show, we'll be covering various topics for discussion. And we'll use guided questions to keep our discussion focused. As a part of the Say It Out Loud community, we want you all to feel free to submit your questions, thoughts, and experiences that you would like to share regarding any of the topics that we discuss. We also welcome any suggestions that you may have for future shows.
1: We'd like to give a special shout out to Naomi K. Bauman, CEO and founder of Purposely Awakened for all of her help and support in helping us put the show together. Okay, so let's get into today's topic. So today's discussion will be centered around Black History Month. Uh, Now, Anthony, you and I have had an opportunity to talk about our thoughts regarding Black history. And the wonderful thing about today's topic is that you're going to um, talk to us about your own personal journey
0: yeah. with regard to pers- uh, Black history. Yeah. Um, it, well, it kind of. I mean, there was a big. I mean, there was a, a situation that kind of came out to me it was with uh, I think Morgan Freeman, one of the celebrities that kind of talked about it, and he kind of talks about how he really doesn't like Black History Month, and, and there's always, always the debate, you know, especially from my experience within the education system and, and working with student groups, and we always talk about black history so much more than just a month, which I agree. Um, <clears throat> but again, and, and feel free to jump in CK anytime. Uh, for me, I had to really think about before I started to get to blaming kind of the institutional framework and kind of the shame behind um, a month being given to our community. And, and we have such a much deeper history. Um, I really had to take kind of a second thought and think about kind of how I kind of contributed to that narrative. Does that make sense? Yeah, And um, so for me, I really had to really reevaluate kind of how I participate or contributed to um, this month because I've I've been a part of the Black History Month celebrations. I've organized events. I've helped lead students to research the history and kind of think about the particular topics we're going to bring up. Um, But what I really had to do was, again, really take a really hard look at my frustrations and and think about what it really kind of wrapped around and for me what it came around was just lack of representation kind of the big notions that we always kind of talk about and I had to think about where where did I kind of contribute to that and so for me I had to really take responsibility for that instead of kind of blaming you know the white man or blaming the government or blaming the school system I really think I had to think about um what did I not do or what did I did do? You know what I mean? Again, and so for me, I had to take accountability for my frustrations in Black History Month instead of looking at and blaming folks. Um, so for me, I started looking at the issues I was frustrated with, and I started really, really evaluating that and looking at the particular topics that got on my nerves. And one of the big things was is the fact that, the biggest one, we have so much more than one month of history to celebrate. And what hey. has been, go ahead. Well, if if I may uh,
1: just jump in for a second, um, that what you're saying is true. That's a lot of uh, of, uh, what I hear in terms of some discontent out there um, that we're like regulated to just one month. But I kind of feel like we have a responsibility to sort of like remind each other that Carter G. Woodson, who started this whole movement back in like 1926. When he was looking at really just a week in February, Mm -hmm. um, at that time referred to as Negro History history Week, um, he was looking at a week. And yes, he had a vision where he thought that um, as black people, our achievements, accomplishments, contributions, our history should be something that was recognized and taught like in public schools and so forth and so on. So when he started the movement, he was he was talking about a week and he chose February because of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. Now, when it when it went to a month, that actually happened in 1969 with the black Un- um, united students of Kent State who said, "You know what? Let's make it a month." And like the first Black History Month that was celebrated, it was actually 1970. So from like January 2nd to like February 28th, 1970. And then six years later, it was recognized by President Gerald Ford. So the thing of it is, is that it was really us who started the movement. If it had been left up to white people, there would never have been Black History Nothing.
0: Yeah, and I think that in the context of how this how this was even established, it was born out of deep trauma. I mean, you see that's a continued narrative when you think about, like, Marcus Garvey and how we had these black leaders in the past that really tried to reconnect us with our heritage. And I think that's kind of what led to me to really think about um, my own frustration instead of just being upset at the fact that we had one week or one month. But it was born out of trauma, and like you said... If there was nothing done, we probably wouldn't have had anything um, at all. You know what I mean? But still, um, for my frustration in this, I had to really think a deep, take a deeper look outside of just kind of this kind of I think surface level kind of t- um, frustration because again, it's quick to kind of point the finger at kind of um, what the issue is and poke holes and 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 the issue of having just a month to celebrate our our grand history. So for me, I had to really start taking responsibility for that and really looking at kind of what I was surrounded by and what resources that I have to kind of, I guess for me, reshape that narrative because I I knew we had more than that. But again, um, not that I'm like most black folks because I don't know, but speaking specifically to me, I had a very surface level understanding of our history and just really had it focused on the U.S. narrative.
1: And I mean, that's, that's, that's fair because, you know, I think once you start to talk about, um, anything that kind of can become frustrating would be once you start for yourself, as you did to sort of like investigate things and look beyond the surface and Mm -hmm. the superficial, the thing that, you know, we were taught in school, you recognize that we don't have, first of all, accurate information. Uh, the whole picture has not been presented. Mm -hmm. And so, like yourself, as well as others that I'm aware of, including myself, you know, to take that opportunity to say, okay, I want to dig deeper and I want to find out more. So how did you go about doing that?
0: Yeah, I think for me, what it came down to is that I started looking at, basically, I had to start with our own U.S. narrative. And that's what kind of led to, to the experience that kind of, you know, really changed my view of role in terms of black history because as i started going through our just basic civil rights movement then i started going back to the brown versus board of education then i started going back to you know blackface and going to the jim crow movement and then all the way back to when you know uh, 1965 when we had the emancipation proclamation and then keep going further and further and as you keep as, as i started going further and further back it, it went, it took me to my own family heritage because my a lot of my family lives in Alabama. But when we first came here, as I did my own DNA check and try to see exactly where we were from, we were part of Virginia, the first slave state that was established in the United States. And as I started going back through that, started going to back through across the transatlantic uh, slave trade, started going to the Caribbean islands, started looking at how slaves were prepared to come to the United States, started going to the... To, uh, to the Ivory Coast and looking at um, our African tribes and how we were a part. And as I as I started digging further and further back, I ended up in Egypt essentially, and and so in terms of my research, it took me. You know, I had to take responsibility aside from pointing the finger and really started digging into that. And as I got to Egypt, not only did I just get to Egypt in terms of my academic study and my research from videos, libraries, conversations, and and and. resources around me. But I took it even further in terms of actually going there. And so, again, looking at the resources and assessing kind of how can I take responsibility to kind of better feed my understanding of my my culture or my heritage really was a, a great deal to take on. And yes, we can make the argument that our system doesn't make it easy. Yes, it's correct that we have inaccurate um, information but what I can also say is is that as I assessed my resources that I did have access to this did allow myself to be liberated from that kind of um, really restricted viewpoint of my people and where I came from Absolutely. and so when I thought about um, how I was I going to take responsibility for that I went to Egypt <laughs> and when it came to me looking at my resources, I looked at my job, I looked at my immediate resources that I had access to, and I didn't and then make an excuse of oh well I gotta make sure I'm making money or I gonna make sure that my family I took on in the full responsibility of my frustrations and looked at what did I have access to, to help me better understand um the, the difficulties of our history and how did I really take responsibility to take advantage of that opportunity and I think that sometimes is difficult because we have a lot of things in the United States or currently that really kind of prevent us from exploring that what are your thoughts on that CK um well when you say
1: like things that prevent us from doing it you mean like distractions like you know being held down by like a job and having responsibilities as far as like what like yeah, yeah,
0: I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, because you have some people that, I mean, we can't, not everybody can say, you know, okay, right now black history may not be a priority because I'm trying to put food on the table, or black history or, or studying the depth of that black history may not be a priority because I have this nine to five job, or I have this school that I'm in, or I have this family, or I have this responsibility. And I think, and, and I think we do have a system that takes advantage of that, and I think we've almost become complacent in. And depending on the system or our our community to inform us accordingly, which I think fundamentally was the idea of our government framework. But because of black folks and the tension, the trauma and overall U.S. narrative, um, I think we've been let down in that capacity.
1: Well, I think that one of the biggest um, um, issues that we have, I feel, as a people, um, in, in listening to just certain comments that have been made, like over time, and particularly... With like the younger generation, is the fact that <clears throat> there's a disconnect in terms of the the events that have happened yeah. in our history. I agree. Where they not um, associate themselves with it. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. It's almost like, okay, well, I wasn't a slave, so sort of like, what's the big deal? As opposed yeah. to recognizing yeah. that this is a part of our history. And it is something that we should know and all of the, you know, um, subsequent events that took place after that. But there's no real communication between the generations so that there is an awareness of all that we have overcome, all that we have accomplished. Um, And so I feel like even that is a huge issue in and of itself.
0: Uh, I, would, I would. That's a that that's a huge point because when you said that point about folks saying I wasn't a slave or I wasn't a part of that or that disconnect, I think that really gets down to. And, and again, jump in. I think this is to that emotional trauma. That's generational trauma that I, I, feel, I feel like we fail to recognize. Just like with any relationship in a particular family, like for myself, when I started thinking about my violent tendencies or, or the disruptions that I've had or any type of issues that I've come across within myself and as I started kind of Doing some individual investigation, there was generational trauma that was passed on from my father, from my gra- my grandfather, from my great great grandmother, grandfather. All my 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 elders and my ancestors that was practices that continued on because there was no proper reconciliation. And I feel like that holds absolutely strong to our our narrative in the United States in terms of the trauma that we've experienced and the, and that we haven't properly reconciled. You mentioned in in, in our conversations. Um, you mentioned your family, and you talked about um, the trauma that that you had to acknowledge and had to recognize within your own. And I think that's a huge narrative in our Black community. But what we know is is that for our family, for our grandfathers and our mothers and fathers, there wasn't a lot of resources or a systematic um, resource in place to help with proper reconciliation. If there was extreme violence, or if there was, you know, they were in a position where they just had to move forward. They couldn't allow that experience to crush them because um, that was almost used as a form. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they had to survive. Exactly correct.
1: Yeah, it was. It was about being in survival mode. Um, some of the atrocities that have happened to our people, over- and not even. And so when it comes to the next generation afterwards, it's like, what are you complaining for? What what are you having such a hard time with? Um, You know, when you talk about like depression or anything, you know, anxiety or whatever, they're looking at you like you have five heads because they're thinking about what they came through. They made it they 're not recognizing the fact that they still are carrying that pain, and it, it it is manifesting itself in their treatment of their family whether it's their 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 spouse or their children or what have you and so now they're closed off, and they are not an available resource for that younger generation to turn to when now they're dealing with whatever kind of pain. They are so it's just like this pathology that's passed on from generation to generation. So at what point do it reconcile our feelings as far as what's happened to us?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think that's what kind of came what led to my kind of experience because as I started kind of thinking about my own individual trauma and I started tracking back to my own family and I started looking at the correlations to black history and what, you know, we have gone through as a people, but also when I started looking at kind of the forms of of, of healing in terms of through music, meditation, um, yoga, all these th- kind of resources that I started looking into, not knowing in the beginning the connection and the deep roots to our own people's history, but and I, but one of the most powerful things, I think, as I started digging further and further back, one of the big notions that started coming out as I started reading from, like, Osiris and Isis and from like Thoth and all these different kind of ancient readings that were kind of rooted in in deep, you know, historical practice that was a part of our people's history was <clears throat> when I was at Egypt and I was in these temples and I was in these pyramids and I'm looking at these hieroglyphics and I'm seeing meditation I'm seeing, I'm seeing these practices that were predated 35,000 years before anything even came to the United States in terms of that capacity. And I'm looking at all these stories that talk about how investigating the depths of yourself will help better inform the world. In this. And there was this point of, as you, as you take on this new knowledge, for me, there was a, a point of very deep frustration and hurt and anger that, that came up. As you start digging back, and I think that's a part of, two. when you start investigating, just in general, your own trauma, there's that bit of shame. There's that bit of frustration, and you get very angry, and you have to... And it's a phase um, until you're not angry no more, but it's one of those points where you're like, damn, I can't believe how much has been stolen from me or how much has not been shared with me. But the difference, I think, was, was how I kind of took responsibility from that because there's only... So much time you can take with saying you're wrong, you know what I mean, versus you have to take responsibility for that wrong that has been done to you. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. And, and, and you know, you said something a while back and I really, you know, for my own, um, for my own feeling about black history, believe in this, is that um, you liberated yourself from yeah. being angry and finger pointing and, yeah. and being frustrated and upset about what it was that you didn't know, and you took it upon yourself to take this journey that led you all the way back to Egypt. And I mean, my God, to hear the things that you encountered while you were there, that's why for someone like myself, who sometimes feels like I'm this alien from a different planet, yeah. because I like think a little bit differently, yeah. then, and that's why Say It Out Loud is important for me, Um, I don't get mad because Black History Month is in February. Mm -hmm. I see that as, okay, this is a month that was set aside for us. And you know what? The gesture may have been well-intentioned or whatever. I'm certain that they didn't look at it the way that we are looking at it now. I think about the effort that it had to take to be able to put this in place, to get it into public schools, and of course, not necessarily having control over, you know, the lesson plan, but just knowing that we want to get it out there that we recognize black people. Um as time evolved and it became the month and as time continues to evolve and we as black people sit down and we think about things, we look at our own individual accountability. Um then we recognize that we're not regulated, we're not restricted. We do not have to just talk about black history in February. Yeah, that's a good point. We talk yeah. all year long, all day long, <clears> and <throat> as custodians of our history, it is our responsibility, and we should take pride and joy in not only educating ourselves about our uh, about our history, but educating the world.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I think, again... <clears throat> when you talked about self-liberation, I mean, that's a practice and that's something that I had to learn over time because when going to Ethiopia, going to South Africa, traveling to Egypt and in the in the part that was most, <clears throat> I guess, empowering was like when in South Africa, you know, um, when you're hearing the songs and you're seeing the dances and you're seeing the language exchange and the cultural practices it, what was most powerful is I was seeing like, it was like watching my family in the United States, but they were speaking a different language and I, I saw the faces I recognized and and when I saw the, the, when I heard the language and the culture, it was so powerful. It was like, there was no, there was no like slavery there that in, in, imposed them to speak that language or there was no like subculture like hip hop or gospel that, or jazz or, that really forced us to have to create or carve out our own space, like those practices that I saw was like there for like thousands of years. And I think that was a real powerful experience for me to say like, this is like a part of us and who we are and like who I feel I am and and, and the way that we kind of conduct ourselves in the United States in terms of that narrative is not just unique to our response to slavery and the trauma we came from, but we also originate this behavior even further back. And I think that's why it's really important, like you say, Self-liberation is very inconvenient. And so, yeah, not everybody can afford to be able to take that trip. But what I do know is that with the scholarships, with the money that we invest, how we spend our money, how we learn to support ourselves, there is absolutely more ways for us to access these resources. And I think that's the most difficult part because we, we're so shrouded and entangled um, with this trauma in, in the U.S. that really sometimes... Um, Prevents folks to even want to go that far because there's some people that are not even interested in going to Africa or or are really rooted in the U.S. narrative and and really feel no need to have to go back. But I guess for me individually, I felt a level of liberation, um, uh, pride, and like almost rejuvenation um, in in who I am and, and where I come from by really. Allowing myself to step out of that comfort or that that kind of shrouded in a, um, U.S. narrative of just our trauma there, and I think that was really important for me to get out of the United States, and that's why I think for me in general, I think it's very important for all Black folk to 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 get out of the United States and to go to the continent of of, of Africa because it's 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 such a, a a a better reflection of kind of who we are, and, and we're able to find more reflections of ourselves. In these in these areas, wherever you go, and that and that was wherever I went. In Egypt, I saw it. In South Africa, I saw it. And in Ethiopia, I saw it. And I think again, as you, because it's, it's almost like a reprogramming of, of yourself um, as you take responsibility to, to dig deeper. And so I was I was very thankful with with opportunities. But again, dealing with the inconvenience of that self liberation process, I think is a, is a big hurdle for our folk. What do you think about that?
1: Well, you know, the beauty of it all is that we, you have the freedom to allow your personal journey to take you wherever you want. Nothing is going to ever really be cookie cut in terms of us as a people because like for instance, what might motivate and inspire me was different for you is different person. But I think the joy comes in being able to liberate yourself from any um, restraints that we may have felt by, as you say, the U.S. narrative, by the people of this you know country, in terms of how they look at us, maybe even water down our contributions or diminish them or dismiss them or didn't recognize them at all, we have the ability, we have the power. To go in any direction we deem fit, Um, and I think I agree with you in terms of traveling outside of the U.S. um, Because a lot of times we're like in a bubble, and we don't we don't even have any clue as to like what our standing is once we leave the confines of this continent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. I mean.
1: view us, how, how they interact with us, what they think of us when, when we come in contact with them, you know, and, and we have not been exposed to that. And I've, 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 you know, you and I have spoken on several occasions when you talk about your interactions with um, um, people of, of South Africa, mm-hmm. and um, and and how you kind of broke that down, those are things like even now that you're you're in Taiwan now, and you've even talked about you know the way that you're perceived there, and mm-hmm. I think that that's very interesting um, for us to you know be able to experience or at least to be able to recognize because we're kind of in a bubble. Well, and you, <clears throat> you hit a real po- good point
0: because <coughs> sorry. After these last two and a half years, I've literally been all over the world. And when I think about this experience that I've gone through um, in terms of developing my own kind of self-liberating practice, what's been kind of very empowering is that when I was in Egypt... And I was in these temples and I'm reading these, these documents and I'm reading these books and this information. One of the things that kept coming up was about meditating, being with yourself, self-investigation, um, self-love. And, and also what I also knew is that the, the further you went back, the more you found that women had a more prominent role in leadership. And helping really develop and influence the community. And I think for me, like I was there in Egypt, leaving myself open, and I'm talking about really relinquishing, and this is my kind of my own personal um, kind of goal was to just kind of release all the things that I was kind of bounded to. I came up, Mm -hmm. I grew up a Baptist Christian. I grew up, you know, in in, in a very liberal community. I grew up in, in, in the projects of Pasadena, California, and I had these kind of attachments of what it meant to be black. Or what it meant to be a U.S. citizen, or what it meant to be, you know, high functioning, and what I had to really do is let that all go. And okay. one of my goals was was when I let that all go in terms of these belief systems and ideas, I really put it out there as like, okay, universe, what are the things that I really need? You know to really understand the depths of myself, and I literally like the like second the Bible says, spoke life into that and wanted to see what was coming back to me and and it was It was so incredible because when I was going through this experience, especially South Africa egypt, Ethiopia, I was in taiwan um London uh, Nepal, all these different places, I started seeing kind of a rinse and repeat of our deep cultural practices kind of manifesting themselves in other community practices so i'm like, whoa like i'm seeing like these like one of the big things that I, that that stuck out to me is that when I talk about the Egypt Egyptian practices in history, especially around the notion of Isis, she was a she was a, a prominent leader back in the day that really ushered in spirituality and sexuality and, and self expression. And one of the things that stuck out to me was altars in terms of how incense were used to kind of usher in the relationship between spirits. And then altars were cleaned every day and fruit and offerings were put there to help build this relationship between both the physical and spiritual world. And it was this basic concept of an altar, incense, fruit, and identifying your ancestors. And when I saw that kind of basic concept, how it manifests itself across Africa, you see it in the church. You see it in all these other cultures. And, and, and when I started seeing how I, I was witnessing this that predated almost every community I engaged. In. I was like, damn, this is like my people's practice. Like it was like crazy to see you know, like this kind of simple, like, especially here in Taiwan. Like every couple blocks, you have an altar and you look at it and people will say that it's Taiwanese culture or it's Chinese culture. and it's not true. It's, it's actually right. practicing old ancient African tradition that helped pay homage to ancestors and build a relationship between both the spirit um, and the physical world. And that was a very powerful inclination in me to see that going on. But again... Um, it had
1: to be very exciting too because you basically were confirming that Africa... Is at the
0: center of civilization. Yeah, straight up. And and again, when it came to when I started looking at these these practices and reading this knowledge, the things came up again about investigating yourself. So when I thought about investigating myself, what were the tools that they were trying to introduce? They talked about meditation. They talked about yoga. They talked about movement. They talked about sexuality, sexual expression. So I'm like, damn. So then that was, when I started getting that information, I started taking a responsibility. Okay, here's what they're saying, ancient texts, of how we got to manage living in this chaotic world. And so then that's when it kind of led to me, after kind of taking this responsibility and really kind of engaging in how I can really transform um, this experience on my own, I started thinking about my community. And that's where another rub happens, where my family, friends, not everybody was down with just, letting go of everything and coming to Africa with me and really trying to investigate the depths of their history. But for me...
1: I I think that one of the things to interrupt you just really quickly is that you probably had to come to realize too that everybody sort of like is not in the same place. Yeah, yeah.
0: OK, yeah, that was a That was a big and being OK with that and, and also being rejected in terms of like, oh, you kind of put off of being crazy or, you know, doing something too outside the box. But again, just kind of going with my intuition and with my heart and kind of what would and really kind of like, I think, really looking at and, and I guess testing, I guess, I don't know if that's a good word, but testing. What our ancestors put in place to help us better navigate the difficulties of existing here on this plane. So when I thought about my community, I had to think about who was I surrounded by and who was helping me also go through this? And I didn't have much. I didn't have folks that did meditation. I didn't have a community that looked at, you know, the eating habits and, and was really I didn't have people that were relinquishing their, their religious beliefs. So I didn't have people that were really investigating the depth of their sexuality and kind of what it really meant to be, what they were interested in. And so then that's when my, my partner and I thought about, OK, wh- where, where can we go to kind of really reinforce this practice? And that was funny because then it took us from being in Egypt then to Nepal, where we ended up doing a really in-depth yoga retreat. And and it was from there then that my knowledge from our, our tradition again became even further because as I started doing the breathing practices, as I started doing the yoga, as I started doing the, the meditation, that then became huge tools for me to better manage of uh, living just Within the world. I'm talking about when I'm stressed, when I'm mad and understanding the, the control and the, and, and the practice of, of, of controlling our energy force. And how do we not allow negative energy or or any type of energy state stagnant in our body and how these particular tools help us better manage that experience? Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because, you know, as black people, we're stressed. Every time, every, everywhere, at every turn. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, everything is stressing us. I mean, we're always at the root of everything. Like we're always, the, oh my God, when it comes to heart disease, when it yeah. comes to diabetes. Uh, when yeah, it comes you
0: took to it right you out of my mouth. <laughs> diabetes, right there. I mean, that you're right. Go ahead.
1: You know, so to, to be able to find a way to deal with that emotional discontent in a healthy way. And, you know, that you've taken those steps through your yoga practice and in breathing and meditation and all of that. I don't even think that we as a people have even taken um, time to consider the importance of self-love and self-care well, and, and is that, yeah. those routines like yeah, that, that can yeah. help us. To navigate this these choppy waters called life. Yeah,
0: and I and I think too one of the things that was pretty powerful is like when when the guru would share like Sanskrit information about um, ancient texts and, and and one thing that I found that was very unique is that a lot of the Sanskrits that I had a chance to look over and have folks share with me a, a lot of them were anonymous and and I found that very surprising because the further you go back, these ancient kind of practices and tools weren't for individual glorification. It was about really kind of people um, like like Bikram yoga or these different type of yoga practices. Those weren't actually like practices for the collective. Those were actually res- those were actually the result of individuals taking account for their actions and people observing the practice that they developed and how they shared that. So so it, it, it then informed me about whoa like so you're telling me that as I start engaging. In this breathing and this yoga and this movement practice, that essentially as I start going into it, I'll be developing my own practice. And I think that was a very powerful notion about the power of me and and and, and understanding that loving myself unconditionally, uncompromisingly becomes actually the better way in terms of how I engage the world. The better I learn to love myself, the better I live learn to understand my own kind of inequities and my own issues and my own gaps. That in turn helps me have more compassion for the world. And it was so crazy that experience because you know our culture is not that. It's about compromising, sacrificing yourself for the other. You know what I mean? And not really looking at the depth of our own inner trauma. And, and again, as I started again embracing these tools and really just again being open to the kind of what was there and that information and being really rock um hard and being into that practice and not allowing myself to be distracted. Well, I'm gonna hold on to this little bit, you know, and not do everything. But really just being open to the possibility, you know, and receiving that ancient knowledge, it really started restructuring kind of from this thing being like, Oh, this is a black people issue to like, oh shit, this is like a human issue and yeah. and that's a hard that's a hard place to get to it was a hard place for me to get to to as I started digging through my own garbage to realize like man as a human species we've been compromised and it's been our people from here that's been putting these tools out and there's specific systems that are taking advantage of the inconvenience of, of self-investigation.
1: And see, what I hear you saying, you know, as you're talking about your experience, is that not only does it take work, first of all, you have to recognize that it needs to be done. Yeah. One. Um, <laughs> exactly, right? you got to get to that point, right? Yeah. Um, but then two, it takes work. And work takes time. Yeah. Especially when you want to be, as you say, you know, unapologetically, you know, you want to love yourself. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, and you recognize because it's true. You know, a lot of times, especially through social media, we see all of these like catchphrases out there. And I think that, you know, from a superficial um, point of view, a lot of people don't recognize that these sayings are actually true. Like, if you don't love yourself, how can you love someone else? Very good. Um, how you can't pour from an empty, you, you can't pour from an empty vessel, you can't get blood from a stone. Yeah. In other words, You're going to go out there and you're going to give and give and give and give. And then when there's nothing left to give, then what? How do you rejuvenate? How do you replenish? How do you take care of you? And when they say that self-care is not selfish, it's necessary. It absolutely is because until you, as you have, find your own practices So that you can on a daily basis, not just once a month, not when it's like your birthday, not for Christmas or for Kwanzaa, but like you make it a part of your daily practice Mm. to look after you first. So that that can in turn be that much more useful for those people who are in your inner sanctum, inner circle, you know, who you, you know, interact with, whether it's business associates or you're in school or whatever it is you are at the center of everything and yeah. so I think that that's like very empowering to hear your story and to hear how you like really just sort of like begin to peel away the layers because that's something that I think we all have to do in our respective lives
0: yeah and I think that's what what kind of came to leading me to do end up doing that documentary um, because as I started looking at the history in the past I mean the thing is and this is the big point too is that even though when, when I started taking responsibility for myself and the gaps in my own life and learning to really redevelop my self-love practices, um, the emotional the emotions don't go away. And I think... That's sometimes what people think when they're like, well, I just try to be happy. That's actually not the goal. It's actually how do you learn to observe the emotions that you feel? And when you observe those emotions, how do you use the yoga, the breathing, um, the movement, the energy management to help you observe the root of that emotion that comes up? Because, again, I still feel... Depression coming on. I still feel sadness. I still feel anger, happiness. All, But what I do know that there's these universal laws like change. Everything is temporary. And so as these things start coming up, what's been happening is that I've been learning how to better observe. And as I learn to better observe the emotions that arise within myself and learning to sit with my meditation and allow them to circulate the energy to not say stagnant, what allows and what happens is I'm able to get to the root of kind of where that happens. And when I'm able to get to the root of where I feel that emotion is coming from, it allows me to uproot up, up to almost uproot it and not allow it to to, to 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 take hold of me because I think a lot of times too when we think about the yoga or we think about these self-healing practices that the goal is is to be happy and that's it. And that's not true. Yeah, from my own experience,
1: you well, know. it sounds like you've discovered a way to be in control of your feelings instead of allowing your feelings to control you. It,
0: it, it, exactly. And, and and you see that, and people got to understand, well, folks got to understand too. Back then, the pharaohs, talking about, when they talk about the golden age and when you, you read back to ancient history and you talk about this kind of crazy technology and knowledge that they had and all these things, back then they had emotional discontent and issues and disagreements. Then. Exactly. You know what I mean? And they set the precedence to where we are now in terms of all our technology. You find so many correlations between what we're doing now and what's happened then. And so when you start investigating these gaps back then, those kings and pharaohs and queens, all those folks that were that were helping trying to liberate, they also, too, struggled. So, again, we also got to be very careful. And I think sometimes people get disappointed. Well, not I'm not going to talk for other people, but for me, I was disappointed. When I started investigating the depth of my emotional discontent and I, and I was doing these spiritual experiences and at the end, the routine wasn't glorious. Mm -hmm. You know know what I mean? Like it's, (laughs) it's not like when you get to, when you start like getting close to thinking about enlightenment and like enlightenment is not glorious,
1: Right, right. And
0: I think that's what people think. Like when they talk about stories of like Jesus and all these folks, like those were folks that were taking individual accountability for their actions and investigating the depths of their emotional trauma. And by investigating themselves, that, in- that enabled them to have more compassion to the other because what they saw in others, they had to see in themselves first. And that practice and that management of that type of reality is tremendously hard and it is not glorious by any means and I think that was the thing that kind of was a big blow to my ego when thinking <laughs> about like ayahuasca and all these things that you I tried to really look at kind of the depth of my spiritual and emotional discontent at the end it's about how do you take responsibility for your actions <laughs> how do you think about who you're surrounded by and what structures do you have in place that supports you and then when you have these issues are you breathing are you eating right are you mad at, how are you taking responsibility for the energy that you're feeling? Like it's this monotonous routine that keeps happening over and over again. And I think again, that sometimes becomes a barrier because we have media and we have these mediums that really make it seem like enlightenment is this glorious experience. And okay. and it and it hasn't been. <laughs> not, oh. not to bust the bubble, but Enlightenment is 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 taking full responsibility for every single thing that you participate in. Period. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Would you say that um, the practices that you um, you know are carrying out in your daily walk um, in your daily life? Would you say that? Um, it's a discipline, or is it just is it is it a lifestyle? It's,
0: like I would definitely say it's a, a discipline because I think the big move for me, as I again as I talk about, you know, because my experience teaching at the university, playing Division One football, um, being a professor, a high level administration in the university system, um, one of the things that led to me kind of doing this was thinking about my position in power and privilege and how I'm modeling my behavior to those that I'm engaged and leading. And so as I was going through this experience, what I thought was very important before I kind of was in this line, because as an athlete, I was always in the limelight. I was always kind of in the position to lead folks and people were always willing to follow my lead. And I thought that as I started looking at our own leaders and I started looking at kind of how people are real easy to fall into the trap of following false prophets, and how sometimes when people have a little charisma or have a little action or attractiveness or some things that folks don't have, they're so quick to follow others. So for me, kind of taking responsibility for that position that I hold within within the, within the communities, because like when I talk about like my experience here in Taiwan, because I'm about 6'4", 260 pounds, and so everywhere I go, I'm like a giant, and. And not only that, people are looking at me, not only from my own community when I was living in the United States, but everywhere. And and so when I was thinking about this documentary, the documentary idea was about how am I able to kind of capture me building that discipline? So the documentary that I developed and just really used, not as a medium to kind of share with the world, but more so as, as an accountability tool of kind of capturing how I was going through and managing my own, or looking at my trauma and here's the experience of how I developed my tools to better help me manage that. Um, And so now I have this resource and this tool. So when I go into an agreement or a partnership or a work and someone wants to work with me, Anthony Kelly, like even when working with you purposely awakened, I said, please check out this documentary. So you understand (laughs) what it means to work with me because Building a practice of being groundshakingly honest with yourself, practicing unconditional love for yourself, addressing every single element of your trauma, tracking down the depths of the generational trauma that's been passed on to you, and confronting every single relationship that you've either done well in or done bad in is a tremendous and fatiguing process. And that was kind of the scope and the idea behind the documentary was, again, it was my journey through conflict and identity. From the conflict that I addressed it, that helped better inform the identity in which I developed today. Does that make sense?
1: I got to tell you, beautiful people, I have had the opportunity personally to um, watch the documentary that Anthony um, speaks of. And I want to say, like, if you have an opportunity, you definitely have to check it out. Um, It's very moving. Um, It's very powerful. Um, I will say on occasion, it brought me to tears because I had to think about some of the things that um, I have faced in my own life. And so, um, you know, Anthony, I don't know if you can make that available so that, you know, people can see it because I think that, um, one of the ways that we, w- one of the things that we have to remember, I think as a people is to get back to like a village mentality mm, yeah. where we're looking out for one another and we're providing resources and support to one another. Um, as you say, modeling behavior that, you know, you want to see out there, you know, as we're doing this podcast, say it out loud is an opportunity for people to say out loud things that they otherwise may not feel comfortable being able to say. Perhaps you might talk about things behind closed doors, but this is an opportunity to be able to say things that you might have felt strange about, weird about. Maybe you feel like you're in the minority or what have you. But to see that documentary is something that I think everybody should have an opportunity to see because it definitely was like... Wow, <laughs> yeah I, I, I,
0: I really appreciate that endorsement and and again it's it, it is it is a practice, and I think the biggest part for the experience is like you talked about, say it out loud is a practice. and I think for us, what our intention with this podcast is again, on a weekly basis providing this space for us to share our experiences on a particular topic, but then also again, to give folks a chance to really on on a very small level to start really Building a practice around saying that emotional discontent that is happening on a consistent basis. And, and just from our relationship, you and I, CK, as we start developing, we've been getting stronger and better at communicating with that. But I think one of the big things between us both that we have, I think, are organically really established is that we keep coming back to the table. And that table of negotiation that you talk about, that's where I think a lot of folks get lost because we have work. We have these responsibilities and we have these layers in front of us that really makes it difficult to understand that this type of investigation really helps provide much more clarity to help you understand the direction and the steps that you need to take specifically for you. And that's, again, another practice of self-love. And that's why I think this notion of say it out loud is essentially kind of a practice that you and I are coming together on a weekly basis and showing how we're practicing self-love not only for ourselves, but then creating space for and inviting the community to participate in.
1: Right. And, and, and let me tell you something. Just um, because, uh, you know, beautiful people out there, you may feel that a thought, an opinion, uh, whatever, may not be uh, popular, who cares? Say it out loud. Yeah. Free yourself from being restricted in ver- verbalizing whatever that discontent you're feeling is. Um, you know, the experience that you're having um, that you want to share, maybe that you want to work through. Again, I'm inviting us all to get back to that village mentality because we really need to as a people do that and become more unified in our approach in our lives because we're so splintered um and so separated and so um disassociated from things yeah. and uh, i believe that once we adapt that mentality and come together and recognize that it's not about me being i'm not better than you you're not better than me we're, we're just all one trying to do the best that we can to make it through.
0: You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree. And I think too, again, with the say it out loud kind of concept that we're introducing to everyone, um, again, with purposely awakened and how we want to share resources. I think that, that the kind of second tier to this, as we say it out loud and we really establish this practice amongst ourselves and our community, one of the big things that I do know is that it's hard to say it out loud. And some people don't want to say it because they're worried about where they're going emotionally or where they might not be able to come back from because of either internalizing or maybe forgetting or compartmentalizing. And that's, again, where the ancient practice of where I was talking about, where I had to learn the breathing, the yoga, the meditation, these type of practices that allow me to better manage That emotional discontent. And again, I saw. So again, there's going to be multiple tiers from what we'll be sharing resource resource wise, not only through the talk show and sharing the podcast, but as you follow up with these talks and you listen to the topics that we have, we're really going to make it a point um, to share additional resources to really help you understand the importance of coming to back to that table. Because again, it's it's a lot of rinse to repeat, and you're going to see this 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 trend in our conversations when we think about individual accountability. How do you take accountability for your actions? How do you think about the community in which you're surrounded by? And again, evaluating the infrastructure that you give your most time to that allows you to to, uh, to continue to investigate your vulnerabilities and the depths of your own trauma.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, once you do all of these things, you may find you may discover that as you look around. You might start shedding some layers, mm. layers of emotions and feelings, layers of people that perhaps don't really fit right now into okay. like where you're going. Um, shedding the layers of you know whatever misconceptions or hurts or whatever it is, you're going to find yourself shedding and starting to um, really evolve into something different, someone different. And the more you practice saying it out loud, the the, the better you're going to feel because you're going to be authentic to you and I think that's really what we want to get to at the end of the day is being our authentic self and not being afraid to be that regardless of what anyone else says or what anyone else thinks
0: I think that's some great points and I, and I think that that'd be a good way to segue and kind of help conclude with our, our show today but I, again I think, Once uh, again, I want to extend an an amazing and a a genuine invitation to our Say It Out Loud community to send in their questions, your thoughts, your experiences, um, as well as your own management tools and coping skills. Because, again, this is not just CK and AK on this this show. This is is us coming to the table, sharing our experiences and the resources and the topics that we come of interest. But also, we want to invite the community to help really help us develop the content on a weekly basis. So, again, we, we extend this invitation to you um, as we share these experiences and as we ground this space. Uh, CKs, or anything else you'd like to add?
1: Um, well, we do have the resources um, available on Purposely Awakens website for this particular show, um, uh, Deep African Connections, where um, we have a couple of links here that's available to you so that you guys at your own and you know, in your own time at your leisure, um, can take a look at those links and get some further information on um, some of the things that Anthony was speaking about today.
0: Awesome. So, quote, uh, so CK, if you could take us away with our concluding quote, I would love it to hear what you got for us today.
1: All right. Well, you know, in the spirit of Black History Month, Um, I was thinking about this gentleman and I'm sure that a lot of us are familiar with him. Um, But the quote for today is the purpose of education is to create in a person the ability to look at the world for himself to make his own decisions. James Baldwin.
0: Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'd like to thank all y'all from Taiwan.
1: And uh, thank you again from New York. Tune in next week when we say it out loud. Be blessed, beautiful people. And here's to brighter days. Peace.